Here we go. Hey, listeners, welcome to Black Talk, a collaboration between Boulder County's NAACP and KGNU. Our program aims to center Black voices, thought, and vision. My name is Michelle Simpson, and today on Black Talk, we're going to treat you to two children's book authors who will be bringing their unique voices to Boulder County's third annual Juneteenth celebration. Some of you may be unfamiliar with Juneteenth, like I was until I moved to Colorado. Listen, folks, I've been Black a long time, and I heard nothing growing up in New York about Juneteenth. Juneteenth, the word, resulted from combining the words June and 19th, and it commemorates the historic emancipation of enslaved people in the United States. And it's remembered as the anniversary of the order that was issued on June 19th, 1865, proclaiming freedom for enslaved people in Texas. So in order to fully understand the significance of Juneteenth, one has to understand that along with the enslavement of Black people came actual laws prohibiting teaching enslaved Black people to read and write. So said June 19th proclamation proclaiming freedom for enslaved people came over two years, a whole two years after Lincoln declared all enslaved persons free. Yes, over two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and became law. So listeners, Juneteenth is right around the corner. I remember reading an article back in February entitled Black Literacy is Black Resistance. So I believe that that history, along with Black people's enduring legacy of storytelling and the stories we hold in the Black community are our roots and branches. So I think this legacy of storytelling so aptly cues up our two guests on today's Black Talk, Alice Faye Duncan and Niasha Williams. So let me begin our conversation by first welcoming Alice Faye Duncan to Black Talk. Alice Faye, welcome. Thank you so very much for the invitation. It is a joy to speak with you today. So Alice Faye, I first became familiar with your work several years ago when I had the distinct pleasure and deep honor of engaging in a conversation with the one and only grandmother of Juneteenth, Miss Opal Lee. And speaking of Miss Opal Lee, would you be so kind to kind of launch our conversation? Would you be so kind as to read a little something from your book, Opal Lee, and what it means to be free? I would love to do so. Um, So the name of my book, as you mentioned, is Opal Lee and What It Means to Be Free. The True Story of the Grandmother of the Juneteenth. This picture book is, uh, I should say, the first official biography of Grandmother Obole, who we know went to the Congress and the Senate to encourage them to make Juneteenth a national holiday. So without her, we really would not have Juneteenth at this time as a national holiday. Um, the part of the book that I'm going to read, it speaks to the times as they were when Black people were enslaved, and it goes like this. Once upon a blazing sun, Black people were bought and sold like cattle. Black men plowed the fields, but were not allowed to own the land. Black women cooked food, but were not allowed to feast on roasted ribs from the master's table. Black children cleaned the one-room schoolhouses, but were not allowed to read or write. Earning and learning were against the law. Slavery was a thief. American slavery dragged on like a flag until January 1, 1863. That's when President Lincoln wounded courage and raised his feathered pen. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation with a mighty glory, 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 freedom with dazzling news like a bright, starry night. However, Texas was big and many miles away from Mr. Lincoln. White masters defied his word. Black bodies remained in bondage. They plowed, they cooked, they cleaned. 
freedom did not ring through Texas in 1863. Thank and you so much. We, you are most welcome. And, you know, we know that after 1863, as you mentioned, it took two years before Texas received word, the official word. They knew that the emancipation had been signed, but Texas was so big that they did not have ample Union soldiers to secure that freedom for the Black enslaved. And so until, until Union soldiers could come and fortify the area, you know, white slave owners were just going on with business as usual. Absolutely. So, Alice Faye, you grew up in Memphis. How has the city, its history, its people, its entire vibe, because I got to tell you, a lot of history is seated in Memphis um, and the surrounding areas. How has that influenced you as a writer, if it has? Absolutely. It has influenced me as a writer. Uh, My mother and father were both Black school teachers. We attended a Black church. We We lived in a Black neighborhood. And so with Memphis being the place where Dr. King was assassinated, many of my neighbors uh, were folks who marched with King when he would come to Memphis. Uh, I, Memphis being on the Mississippi River, uh, slave trade was active here. And so in the, in the part of town where I went to church, there is a street that was once named Auction Street. And on Auction Street, you literally have an auction block that has been preserved and it notates that here on this auction block is where, you know, the enslaved were sold. And and so this has plagued my imagination. My mother and father were always wanting to tell me about the history of the city as we drove through town, uh, the Lorraine Motel, which is uh, the the motel where Dr. King was assassinated. It was one of the landmarks on my way to and from church on Sunday. So literally every Sunday morning, my mother told me repeatedly the same story about Dr. King being assassinated. Um, and, and this, I would say, inspired my love and interest for history, and it inspired my love and interest as well. From Memphis history. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Niasha, you currently live in Colorado, but you've lived, girl, you've lived a lot of places. So how would you say your geographical locations have influenced your writing, if they have? First of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm hyped about this conversation. Um, no, well, thank you, and so, welcome to Black Talk. Yeah. Thank you. So, I will say um, my life experience in terms of the way that I've moved um, has really been um, in relation to my family dynamic, and that first starts with my um, parents adopted me. I'm transracial adopted. My parents are white, um, my siblings and I are all black. And then now as an adult, I'm also in maternal reunion with my birth family. Um, and that is leading me to new places as well within the United States. And that's expanding um, my exploration within myself, my roots, my identity. Um, and every single aspect of that definitely plays into everything that I'm creating. I know we talked about Black Tarot on Black Talk. Uh, I feel that very much in terms of me reconnecting with my ancestors and reconnecting with my roots is in my work. I definitely like to regularly pay homage through all of my creations in terms of reflecting on the past and the resilience and the power and the magic and the displaced the dreams that are carried forth by our ancestors, um, how they rippled out to where we are now and we'll yeah. and hopefully we'll continue to ripple absolutely so that is what and my work really carries is i try and write to what our ancestors deserve and future children need 
No, well, thank you for that. You know, and I should say, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, welcome back to Black Talk Nyasha. When Nyasha first came on Black Talk in 2022, um, as you just mentioned, we talked about your newly published, it was newly published then, newly published guidebook, Black Tarot and Ancestral Illumination. So I did want to say that. How's how's it doing? It's been really, really well. I've been so, so, um, my heart's been so full. I've been so filled with gratitude and blessed with how many people um, are resonating with what my words, what I've written, what I've created. Yeah, the deck and the bad looking cards are doing really well. I get messages constantly just letting me know how much the deck's resonating to them, how they hear that their ancestors' voices are being amplified through them using the deck, which is really what it was intended to begin with, is just helping people build that connection with their ancestors and to be amplified and provide healing, really. Um, healing, uh, we want abundance, we want um, people to just be able to reconnect with their roots and feel aligned again. Absolutely. No, well, thank you for that. You know, on this program, I have shared many, many times um, the fact that both my mom and my dad were born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. And so um, not just my family, but my history, my soul in many ways is so rooted, so rooted in Montgomery. And Alice Faye, when you were speaking, and also when I was thinking about some of what you have written and talking about Memphis history, um, I just wanted to share with both you and Niasha that I visited the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery. I took my mom down. And yeah. uh, for those of you who haven't had an opportunity to visit, I would so encourage it. Um, it's dedicated to maintaining the legacy of enslaved Black people, um, people who were terrorized by lynching. And in your book, Alice Faye, Evicted, um, there is a poem that is featured about the lynching, and it's and about the lynching of Thomas Brooks. It's titled The Ghost of Thomas Brooks. Um, and in reading your book, it left such an indelible impression on me. And so my question to both you and Niyasha is this. How do you two determine what topics to include in your books for children? In other words, have either of you ever received any criticism for writing about hard issues, controversial issues, and presenting them to a, a, a children's audience? I can say that um, recently in Duval County, uh, which is in Florida, my book Memphis Martin in the Mountaintop was put on a old band list, B-A-N-N-E-D list, right. um, right. because, um, you know, the book is about Dr. King's assassination. However, they put it on the list without even reading the book. Um, and so that was curious to me. But what I do is I I follow the spirit and I I write about what I believe is important and what I believe children should know and understand. And so sometimes those topics are hard. For example, in Evicted, I talk about the impact of lynching and what the impact of lynching had on Black folks and voting rights. And so I just write from a place where I feel the spirit is leading me to write. And sometimes that that is not going to be easy, but to make it accessible to children and to make it a warm and poignant experience, what I do is I put that hard, difficult, painful information, I put it in a poem. And so the poem then becomes something that's lyrical and very music-like and becomes somewhat of like a blues song, right? Okay. And, that, and that's what I did with the Ghost of Thomas Brooks. So I'll, I'll read just a short part of that. Oh, would you? Thank you. you. Yes. Thank you. And, you know, Thomas Brooks, was, he was uh, lynched in April 1915. He was lynched in Somerville, Tennessee. And so... 
racial violence is the reason why so many people in rural areas in the South, particularly, did not vote. It was not because it was not on the book that they couldn't vote, but they were not voting because of the repercussions they would suffer for attempting to do so. And right. so here is uh, the poem of Thomas Brooks, and it's called The Goat of Thomas Brooks. And it's spoken through the personification of Thomas Brooks' spirit. And it goes, my talk ain't polished. Listen anyway. This is my body, battered and bruised. See, my bulging eye. Call me Tom Brooks. Here and not here. I am the wind. Click, click. A crowd of grinning white folks snap my picture. Kodak brownie cameras cost $2. It is April 1915. My cracked black boots and broken black limbs dangle from the trestle of a railroad bridge in Somerville. I kill the rich white farmer and his helper. They say, they say so much that ain't true. Click, click. Pictures tell the story as buzzing white children chirp with glee. They is so happy to miss a day of school and dance in circles at the heyday of a Negro. Me. And so that's the first stanza from The Ghost of Tomacourt. Thank you so much for reading that for us. Niasha, how do you determine what topics to include in your books for children? And have you ever received any criticism for writing about hard issues, controversial issues, and again, presenting them to a children's audience? I am very much an activist, um, and I think a lot of that stems from the beginning and the foundation of my whole life was my parents are very much humanitarian. And so that really inspired me um, in caring for our world and um, just being a voice towards justice um, and moving in that way. And so I feel like that very evidently created into my books and my writing. And um, I just want an equitable world draw. I want everyone to be safe and okay. Um, and so my work is really rooted in writing towards the world I I believe in. Um, in terms of reactions to people, I've gotten a lot of praise. A lot of people are down for this um, world we're trying to build, building with reality together in community. Um, so but I'm getting a lot of support. I do. I think there's some people who get hesitant and get nervous, like, you know, my book, I Affirm Me, it's an inspiration, you know, it's output of inspiration for Black kids. It's not on the book. And so there's lots of white families who reach out and ask, is this book appropriate for my child? Is it, you know, and it's like, yes, everybody needs to see all races, um, communities, individuals in positive light, in positive roles in literature and media. And so every, the books act as windows, uh, doors and mirrors, and we know this. And so it's highly important for everybody to be seeing everybody. Um, we need to see every community in joy. We need to see every community in healing. We need to see every community in, um, you know, breaking the roles that we've heard for so long. You know, this is the roles that they're laying where they are. It's like, I'm here for all of that evolving. Um, and yeah. So, yeah, there is some people who will ask you. Why did you have, why do you have a book with all black characters? Why are there no other people in the book? And it's like, a lot of us are writing for the healing of stories that haven't been told there, that haven't been told, that people see themselves in spaces they haven't seen themselves so far. KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder. KGNU 1390 Denver. You are listening to KGNU, Boulder, Denver, and Fort Collins. I am Michelle Simpson, and this is Black Talk. And on today's Black Talk, we are speaking with Niasha Williams and Alice Faye Duncan, both children's book authors. Both will be featured during the third annual Boulder County Juneteenth celebration and commemoration coming right up. 
Support comes from Hofgard and Associates, providing estate, insurance, business planning, and probate administration services. More information can be found at HofgardLaw.com. That's H-O-F-G-A-R-D Law.com. Support comes from Myers Heating and Air Conditioning, serving Metro Boulder and the surrounding areas for over 57 years. Myers provides American Standard products, HVAC, and indoor air quality design services. More information at MyersHeatingAC.com. So, Nyasha, speaking of, um, in your book, Ally Baby Can Be an Eco-Activist, you introduce children to the term ally um, and provide many ideas and actual suggestions for how um, an ally, you know, can be, or an ally baby can be an eco-activist. Um, your books are very active. In other words, um, kind of very encouraging when it comes to action or activism. Has that always been a thread in your writing? Yes, I would definitely say that. Um, I started the feminist organization on my college campus and I ran the vagina monologue. And so, you know, being a physical where I know that I will have impact and I'm leaving the world a better place for future generations is necessary and always the space I need to be. I'm very much a believer that the way you can judge the health of the society is on the health of the children. Are the children all right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that we all have to reflect one at the end of the day. You know, would you mind reading? Um, kind of a, a short piece for us from Ally Baby. Um, Ally Baby can be an eco-activist. Of course, of course. So Ally Baby can be an act- eco-activist. It's written by Williams, and the illustrator is Jade Orlando. Ally Baby knows equal access, access excuse me, to a healthy earth is best for you and me. That's why they add eco-activism to their ev- Ally Baby wakes up. Ally Baby plants trees flowers with nana in the yard, neutralizing carbon emissions can be fun and it'd be hard. Allied Baby works side by side with generations past. Allied Baby creates a future where our planet Earth will last. I will stop there, but um, one thing I also do get a lot of commentary around is that I don't shy away from the high words, uh, the bigger words or more complex words in children's books. And some people will say, right, yes, why do you do that? Um, and I was a teacher. Kids can do it. If you're sitting with them, you're breaking it down. Um, we do a lot of different activities and games when we're learning about new words for a book um, that allow kids to understand what those words mean, even if they are complex. And I did a really, really, um, I think, meticulous job in making sure that every single illustration in the Ally Baby Can Be series, um, that the illustrations reflect the words. So when you're talking about the pink tax, you look in the picture, then you'll be able to figure out what the pink tax is by working through that picture and breaking down what's happening in that picture. So the mm-hmm. book works on many levels in terms of for different ages, because yeah, pink tax is a big word. It's a hard thing. But I really tried to make sure that kids were able to understand these complex topics and conversations and things to talk about in terms of these different forms of being an, uh, an activist um, in ways that are visually even represented and people can break down through the imagery what it means. Got it. Well, let me ask you both a question. What's happening in the world of children's book publishing? What's happening? And I'm I'm asking that question primarily because we find ourselves in a very interesting time. Um, And Alice Faye, you referenced the banning of books. Um, You referenced the fact that uh, your book, Memphis, Martin, and the Mountaintop, um, has been banned in Duval County, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, by their Board of Education. So what is happening in the world of children's book publishing? In other words, are you finding that with the increase of book bans and um, the interest in banning various types of books, um, that the interest, the interest in the publishing world has heated up or cooled in terms of what you write and what you have customarily written about. What are you what are you finding in, in the publishing world? Right now, uh, um, for me, I'm finding that publishers are 
still, despite the banner, publishers are still purchasing a, a lot of non-picture books, a lot of picture books, uh, biographies. However, I don't know how long that will last uh, when teachers or if teachers begin to get weary in resisting the banner. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes a soul can get tired of fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so I, I don't know how long that can last while the banners are, are heating up their, you know, heating up their, their, um, their campaign. But I do know that the American Library Association, Teacher Association, um, the professional associations connected to teachers and librarians are doing everything in their membership power to raise, quote unquote, against the machine. Now, while the, while the banners are, are, are doing their thing, I do know that there has been an increase in books about Black fantasy, Black Afrofuturism, and so that is at an all-time high and is very popular. Black kids are seeing themselves in fantasies, um, like um, the new, what's the new movie? The the Mermaid movie. Oh, the Little Mermaid. And, yeah, the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Niyasha, what's been your experience in terms of the publishing world? What are you finding? I think it opened up, um, but... I think there was a lot of demand for that opening um, in 2020. And I think that while there has been this expansivity, I think that without us continuing to make um, big stands and really um, continue to push in our own ways, in our own spaces, I don't know if the demand is there. But I think that people are... Publishers, in my opinion, are still not taking, in my opinion. Um, and I will voice that, like, there's a lot of layers for me within the publishing industry. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings and opinions, and it's led me to the point of where I'm actually at the point of wanting to build my own um, because I feel like I need to do business differently there. While there are things happening, I still think that there are so many stories being left out, so many stories not being told. And if they aren't palatable to a certain level of whiteness, they aren't given that chance and not given that um, pedestal and that um, showcasing. And so I've heard the conversation differently, and I'm stepping into that. And um, as as well, like there's a lot of bitter feet for me in the publishing world right now. And so I feel like I want to build up as many people as I can. I want to make sure that. Um, not only am I moving differently in terms of seeing an eco activist and caring about the world and how I'm getting my books out into the world, but I also deeply want to make sure that everyone has a chance to have their voice and story told. Um, and I think that there's still bars in place and walls and ceilings that are not allowing um, the amount of change that needs to happen. Okay. Okay. Now, well, thank you for sharing that. You know, Alice Faye, since you've had uh, firsthand experience um, with this kind of banning of books, this wave uh, that we find ourselves in, uh, again, I will mention that your book, Memphis Martin in the Mountaintop, has been banned uh, by the Duval County Board of Education in Jacksonville, Florida. Would you mind sharing um, uh, a snippet of that book with our listeners? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you know, my favorite poem from the book, it comes at the end, and that poem says, Dream big, walk tall, be strong, march on, don't quit, never stop, climb up the mountain count. But to to uh, support my point I was making earlier about when it's time for me to discuss, you know, painful topics with young people that they need to understand, like the assassination of Dr. Case, I've put those those facts, I put those in poetry. And so in Memphis Martin and the Mountaintop, there is a poem that I wrote, and it is called The King is Dead. 
And so, you know, during the riot, um, after Dr. King's passing, a lot of yellow people and their frustration and their pain, they took to the streets, uh, you know, and because riots are the voice of those who are unheard, right? Or we feel that they are unheard. But in my book, the little girl who's a narrator, a nine-year-old little girl whose name is Lorraine, what she does after Kaylin's death is instead of going and breaking something, she writes a poem. And that poem is the King is Dead, which is her response to Dr. King's assassination. So I will read it to you. The King is Dead. And it goes, not long ago, there lived the king. He did not sleep in a castle. He did not wear a crown. He did not rule a royal court or ride in chariot. The king marched in the street. He lived to help the poor. He lived for peace and love. Hate, hate, hate killed the king. The king is dead. What, what will the people do? And, and what I normally do is when I read that poem with young children, I, I end it with, what will the people do? And then I ask them, what, what will you do? And that's the reason for me writing my books. It's the reason why I encourage parents to come to the Juneteenth celebration, uh, go to your local bookstore and purchase my books and Asha's books for your children. Because children need to understand that if there is to be democracy in the world, that if there is to be a, a successful campaign against climate control, if there is to be uh, the sustainability of food and agriculture, it is not going to be what their parents do or what their grandparents do. It is going to be what they do because they are going to be the eminent leaders of this world. My time, for the most part, is over. But young children, it, this is their world. And they are the stewards of it. And so because they are the stewards of it, we need to give them good books that inform them of their that inform them of their responsibility, but then also that inspire them of their dreams and their their vision for what the world can be. Well, well thank you yes. for that. I think that um inspiring and relaying the responsibility of we are going to become the future ancestors. What do we want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And that we found, I hear all of that. Miyasha, let me ask you this. Did you enter writing as an educator? You were, you were a teacher and you had written, what's the commotion in the ocean? Um, and I recall, I think I have the story straight finally. Um, that one of your students attending a school in Aurora, Colorado, um, declared that mermaids couldn't be black. And this was based on your book, What's the Commotion in the Ocean? Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. That is correct. And is that how you entered the writing sphere? By being an educator and perhaps seeing what was not available? Yes. I definitely was in the classroom and feeling like my kids weren't being represented in the text you were being requested to use um, in the curriculum. They started to cheer, and I was like, I feel like I'm going to step into this. So that's where me playing around writing manuscripts started, although I didn't even know they were called manuscripts really at that time. I was really a baby in the world. Um, okay. And then I decided to self-publish a book and what the promotion in the ocean was that manuscript and it was overfunded on Kickstarter because I didn't have the funds so I was like let me raise them and there was overwhelming response in terms of yes we want some stories yes we want this representation yes we want to hear narratives that we haven't heard or see things we have not yet seen before that we all know exist because we all know black mermaids exist you know Disney's Little Mermaid isn't the first black mermaid but it's like those stories have not given, been given the room or the pedestal could be showcased or heard. 
And that's really what I'm about, that these stories have been told. It's just they haven't been given the platform. And that's really the work that I feel like I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. So how are you feeling? How are you feeling now with this rebooted um, Little Mermaid film out and all of the controversy that has come about or percolated around the Black actress, um, Halle Bailey, and just the idea, it could be Halle Bailey, it could be another young Black woman, um, but the role of Ariel being played by a Black young woman. Um, what are your thoughts? So there's so many layers on that question for me. I mean, I love fantasy. I mean, if you read the beginning of my tarot deck guidebook, I talk about how fantasy books, I was all over these as a kid. I loved Harry Potter. I loved all these different um, magical worlds that we created. Mermaids were magic. I used to create little fairy homes in my friends in my backyard. That was like, so like, it's just such a space for peace for me, and I just loved it. Um, and I, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I went to my first Afro Mermaid convention or an Afro Mermaid Summit out in Florida. Um, it was in 2021. It was amazing. It was so um, healing to be around other Black people in fantasy who also um, enjoy that space. And so... That is amazing. Like, <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> there's a lot of magic, and there's a lot of healing, and there's a lot of, yes. And in the same breath, I can't begin to talk about the problems with Disney and how problematic Disney is. I can't begin to get too deep into my mixed feelings of uh, Haley playing both. So this inspiration in The Little Mermaid and then playing in also The Color Purple, Nelly. There's a lot of feelings for you on a lot of levels. Um, and we, was, we could spend all day. Especially all the layers that are in it for me. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that um, I think, like I said, there's both the sweet and the critique I need to do. It always makes me go back to um, David Baldwin when he talks about um, I love America and that's why I can critique America is because I love her. Um, I feel that with many things um, and many creations that are coming out right, which is why I feel like there's space for expansion and there's always space for growth. Um, but I think that we are in a magical time in literature and media. I would. Well, thank you. You know, speaking of what's the commotion in the ocean, can we get you to read a little piece for us, a little passage? But of course, I will start from the beginning. What's the commotion in the ocean? A rhyming story about saving our ocean, written by Niasha Williams, myself, and the pictures or illustrations are drawn by Sophia Glishko. Do you ever think about the sea, about our oceans and their pain? Their messages are sent through waterspouts, world keys, and tidal waves. I'm posting it now because they need your aid. I was born in the water. The oceans and the seas are my home. But with humans treating them so terribly, their future is unsure and unknown. It's difficult to sum up the oceans it's worth. Oceans are the most extensive ecosystem here on Earth. You know, I just want to mention something to our listeners. You know, we are listening to the voices of Alice Faye Duncan and Niasha Williams, both, both such prolific writers. And I just want you to know we will list their bibliographies on the KGNU website, along with information regarding Juneteenth. You know, so another question I have for both of you, and Alice Faye, I'll start with you because you're both such an integral part of this upcoming Boulder County Juneteenth celebration commemoration. Alice Faye, can you tell us what are you offering at the Boulder County Juneteenth commemoration celebration? What are we in for? What can we expect? Well, we are going to have a great time. Um, and so I am prepared to do an interactive reading where there is going to be acapella singing and then there is going to be me uh, reading a variety of books. One is going to be the Juneteenth book, which is the story of Opal Lee, Grandmother Opal Lee who um, experienced 
a great tragedy on Juneteenth. She and her family in 1939, they were the first black family to move to a Texas, um, to a, a, a white Texas neighborhood in Fort Worth. And um, a white mob, some segregationists, they burned down her parents' home on Juneteenth Day of 1939. And then that leads, Opalee, it spirits her on through her adult life to be an activist and who ultimately is the one who helped America um, make Juneteenth a national holiday. So that's, that's one thing I'm going to read. I'm going to read a blue table because I come from Memphis, which is the front door of the Mississippi Delta. And, and during Juneteenth, we celebrate music. And therefore, I'm going to read a blue fable in celebration of the, uh, the Juneteenth holiday. But then lastly, I am going to debut my brand new book, which is The Black Traditional Spiritual. This train is bound for glory. And so I wrote the, the, the Negro Spiritual as a picture book about a journey uh, of people on their way to heaven and Black Jesus is the conductor. And so that's how we will end the Juneteenth celebration uh, with all of us in one voice uh, engaging in that call on with the bond. You know, Alice Faye, this train is bound for glory. How can uh, our listeners get a hold of that? It's, it's a new book. Is, has it been published yet? It will, the release date for, uh, for this train's Yampa Gore will be June 6th. And so, uh, by the time you hear this interview, uh, you will be able to pick up a copy of the story, the book. You'll be able to pick up a copy of this. It's a beautiful picture book. In fact, um, the illustrator of the picture book is Paul Kellum. And Paul Kellum is also the illustrator who did the Disney a uh, picture book for Little Mermaid that just recently released in May. And so if you've seen the Little Mermaid book, you know that it is beautiful. But he also did This Train Down for Glory, written by me, and it is also beautiful. And it's available anywhere books are sold. Okay. So, Niasha, question. <laughs> Do you hate it when someone asks, so what are you working on next? Because I, I think I'm going to ask that question. No, you are so fine. I'm totally <laughs> always open for that question. So um, one of the things that I just um, made me skip that I wrote with two other women. So one is my second youngest sister, Grace. Her and I created the Oracle deck that's coming out in September this year. Um, but we also wrote with another young woman from uh, California. And we collaborated on de decolonized fairy tales. And so we wanted to create a new anthology that can sit in replacement of some of these, um, you know, uh, story tales that play into systems that are no longer working for us. Um, and so that was our goal is to reimagine and recreate in that. So we have different things that may skip working on editing and then hopefully we'll find a beautiful publishing home um, where it will reach a lot of homes and a lot of kids and started with reimagining what the what uh fairy tales can look like and um we really tried to hone in on problems that a lot of assistants created today in terms of having that healing happen through the fairy tale so uh i'm really excited that piece, about that piece of work and uh ready yeah. to <laughs> and we on talk we need to talking so we need to talk in one of my classes i teach uh a literature course, and we focus a lot on fairy tales, and we talk a lot about the fairy tales, and that they were originally written for adults, you know, not for children, but anyway, so you and I have to talk. We can, we need to chat, girl, so and I will look you up, but you know, I also wanted to ask you about Juneteenth, because as I understand it, you're going to be facilitating a young writer's master class, and uh, what should we expect? What are you, what are you thinking? What are you cooking up? Yeah, so I have two things. I have um, kind of storytelling. So I'm going to be doing some read aloud of my various books. Um, and I am going to do a little sneak peek of one of my books that's not actually going to be released by Juneteenth. It releases a week later. But I will 
um, give everyone a pre-showing of that book, which will be really exciting. It's called I Am Somebody. Um, but at my uh, master class, uh, it is aimed for kids about 16 through 23. And the goal is to kind of walk through what being an author looks like. What is the process of, you know, scribbles and notes to Word doc and manuscript to on a book doubt? What does that look like? What is that during the end? And how does it differ if you are self-publishing or if you're traditionally published? So I want to really allow people to go on that deep dive with me and um, mm-hmm. showcase what that glimpses of what that looked like for me on my journey. Oh boy. Sounds like both. Alice Faye, Niasha, what you're going to be offering during Juneteenth is not to be missed. So before we close, um, I'd like to ask you both if there's anything you would like to add, anything that is perhaps resting on your heart. Uh, that you would like to share before we close out today's program. I'll start with you, Alice Faye. I will end with a poem that I that I, I shared earlier. And I just, I want parents, grandparents to come hear us, bring your kids, and be inspired. And so, you know, Dr. King came to Memphis and he said that uh, I might not get there with you. And he didn't. He looked over into the promised land, but he did not possess it. And so I encourage all of us to bring their kids, be inspired, and, you know, let us all make it to the promised land together. And the poem is this, dream big, walk tall, be strong, march on, don't quit, never stop, climb up the mountaintop. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that. Nia, thank you. Anything that uh, you would like to share before we close? Yeah. So I decided to pull a card for Juneteenth, just like thinking about the energy and um, asking to be a through on a card. <laughs> I, I love that. Okay. I got, I got the nine of queens. Um, so I'm going to read the card description. So it's traits are self sufficient and luxury. Card description A couple stands at the entrance of their home. Welcoming guests with honey, jars, and figs. They have built their empire and are comfortably self-sufficient. The couple has broken free of the constraints constraints created to limit them, and they now have a flourishing high made on their turn. The two honor each other as equals and take pride in the home they have made. They are filled with gratitude for their lifestyle, circumstances, and company. The nine of coins rings of abundance. The couple appreciates moving at a slower pace, taking care of their environment, and acknowledging their success. They make time to thank those who came before them and who paved the way. What is your manifesto? Continue to structure your life in a way that works for you in balance and stability. Feel confident in your ability to handle anything that comes your way. Trust your voice, and don't be afraid to create a path where few have wandered. In Yang, prosperity and comfort, having the time and state of mind to enjoy it, having resources on hand to make further gains, prosperity as a result of hard work, in a life, enhance your state, create an environment that feels rich in the ways that matter to you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, now, Alice A. Duncan, we're going to be looking for this train is bound for glory. Niashi Williams, we're going to be looking for I am somebody. I said at the outset, these two are such talented and such gifted and prolific writers. It's hard to keep up, um, but we're going to try. And I also wanted to just share with you how much it has warmed my heart to have you both here today. Um, I have shared with you what a, a reader I was as um, a young black girl and how I didn't come to see myself. In, in any of the books, on my shelves, any of the books I got from the library, any of the books we were assigned to read in school. Um, until I had graduated high school, I was in college. And that was the first time I saw myself. And I'll never forget the book I saw myself in. It was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And I am just so grateful to, to the both of you that there are books out there that I can share with my nieces that I can share with the Black girls who, like me, 
just craved representation, craved just seeing ourselves, just seeing ourselves. So thank you both. Thank you both for agreeing to be on Black Talk. Thank you both for sharing everything that you have shared with us. And I got to tell you, I, for one, cannot wait <laughs> for Juneteenth. I cannot wait. And I'm not any longer a young, a young reader, um, nor am I a young writer, but I can pretend. So I will be there. And I hope, listeners, you will be there with me. So thank you both, Alice Faye Duncan, Niasha Williams. Thank you so much for being on Black Talk. Thank you for the invitation. I'll see you all soon. Yes, thank you for having us. And again, can't wait to see you. Thank you again. That was Michelle Simpson, the host of KG News Black Talk, speaking with children's book authors Alice Faye Duncan and Niasha Williams. Both are being featured at this year's third annual Boulder Juneteenth Festival. You're listening to KGNU. Swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Yeah.